0: To hate watch with us, you sound so unenthusiastic to be here right now. I know, I don't know what happened to me.
1: (laughs) And I'm Kelsey, (laughs) I'm hype.
0: (laughs) I'm Kelsey, and I'm really hype.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) in fairness, and I'm Kelsey, Kelsey. is that better?
0: kelsey we did start with some tone setting the moment that we chose to talk about our favorite (laughs) abc sitcom downward dog so we got some news about downward dog today and we're closing in on the end of the first season so we felt it was probably a good time to check in and check our rage barometer and then in our B segment, we are going to talk about narrators, because we feel at this point that Downward Dog is probably the best cautionary tale that narrators have ever had. <laughs> so we're going to see where that takes us. Oh boy. Oh boy. Get it? Get hype. Get hype? as hype as Kelsey, guys. <laughs> you got to get her hype.
1: We got to feel it through do. the microphone. It's really tough.
0: So, because we are a cutting-edge podcast, we got the news quite early today that ABC has decided to cancel Downward Dog, and even though this episode is coming out two weeks after that announcement, I still like to think that we were probably the first podcast to be reporting on this. Because no one cares about Downward Dog? Because no one fucking cares about this show.
1: why is that burden
0: that we have had to carry for you so abc decided to cancel the show the only explanation i've been able to find so far was some line from a producer that said that they were really committed to the show and really liked it but couldn't make it work financially and I is that because of all
1: the cgi of the dog's mouth and eyes
0: ABC, abc has done a lot more cgi than that in their time That is, like, the most cut-rate CGI I have ever seen on ABC, and
1: I've watched Once Upon a Time. And I was gonna say, like, maybe dogs are expensive, but children are more expensive, and Jane the Virgin still runs on CW budgets, so... Yeah. There's no reason why ABC shouldn't be able to afford one dog. It
0: also, for all intents and purposes, is, like, a very, very basic sitcom. It's not like they're filming on crazy sets and shit. They're filming in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh.
1: It's in Pittsburgh. How much must it cost to film in Pittsburgh? Like $500 in yeah. full per episode? Yeah.
0: I mean, I would make a joke about, like, Pennsylvania giving good tax credits, but I don't think Pennsylvania even has taxes. <laughs> look, I know we got a couple listeners in Pennsylvania because I look at the analytics, so this is nothing personal, my dear friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy that explanation from abc unless the ratings are just so low that the advertisers are pulling and that's why they can't make it work financially mm. i wouldn't blame them yeah i haven't tried looking up any information about ratings the same producer in the same article tried to pull some shit about how the show is like clearly striking a nerve with people and is like making them feel things like rage and was like you know we we really hope we can find another home for this show and like think the show has a lot of potential and blah, 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 blah. And I, I mean like I know from having read a few more reviews on IMDb that like there are some people out there that like it, but I'm assuming that like literally every person out there who likes it has left a review on IMDb and therefore is accounted
1: for. From what I'm looking at, For Downward Dog, they're getting, like, 3 million viewers per episode, which feels incredibly low (laughs) for any television show on a broadcast network. Like, I know we're not getting millions and billions and billions of people, but 3 million feels a little low.
0: So we've been speaking in conceptuals here. Let's talk about what episodes... So we've talked about the pilot, episode one. So let's talk about episodes two through four, because we haven't finished five yet.
1: I mean, we can still talk about it. I'm not afraid of spoilers of Downward Dog.
0: I can sum up episode five for you. He really <laughs> likes trash and uh, I did see that and goes away.
1: Yeah, that's what I watched.
0: So And leaves leaves her boyfriend there and he plays video he plays virtual reality the whole time. So then Martin leaves the house and goes and eats trash and has a flashback to him being a puppy and then and was, like, born in a trash can. And then he spends the rest of the episode calling himself a trash dog, and then Nan comes home and says mean stuff to the video game boyfriend. Oh, good. Oh, she also stalks a couple in New York City because they look like her and her boyfriend, her video game boyfriend, and she was trying to figure out if that meant that they could be happy if they just moved to NYC instead of staying in Pittsburgh. Yikes. And Martin spends the whole time talking about being a trash dog and how that makes him not good enough for Nan, and it's a symbol for, for the video game boyfriend. <laughs> I just can't with the show. <laughs> so that was
1: episode five. Let's rewind. All right. Let me recap. Um, I'll recap episode two. Okay. <laughs> episode two is about... Martin being locked inside all the time, and about doors, and about how he gets, quote, locked in the sex room, and (laughs) (laughs) eventually she gets him a doggy door that's automatic so that he can go in and out as he pleases, and then her video game boyfriend can not come in anymore because he gets his key taken back, but he still can come and deal with the dog because apparently that's his problem still. Well, and so
0: in this episode, she spends the entire time saying the word boundaries. Yep. And, and she's, her whole thing is that she's trying to, like, still have casual sex with him. Because, like, she's still in love with him. That's the bottom line. The show is not good at just accepting this. Mm -hmm. She's in love with him, but he's a loser. That's the entire story of their relationship. Right. So she's still trying to sleep with him, but doesn't want to be with him. And is justifying it by saying that Martin really likes him. And so she can't, like, cut off that relationship. And then in the B-plot, Martin thinks he has superpowers because of the automatic door. Oh, Martin does a talking head interview right in front of Nan and video game boyfriend having sex. (sighs) Yeah. So that was cool. That was clever.
1: He also talked about how he was in charge now because he had access to the door. Martin... Martin just says fucked up shit. Speaking of fucked up shit, in episode three, there's a weird sexual dog fantasy with her boss.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. So her boss is afraid of dogs and her boss keeps fucking up her ad campaign that is about mirrors and makes no sense because ABC apparently has never job shadowed on in a marketing department. (laughs) Literally never. I said to Kelsey, like, I... I have worked in, like, childcare and government, and I know more about marketing than ABC does. ABC, which has a, like, multi-billion dollar marketing department. Right. So good job. Their
1: favorite thing is to just throw around the word campaign and production schedule. Yep. As many times as possible. And they also talked a lot about group cloud in this episode, which was meant to be a thing.
0: Yeah, so she's at her generic marketing job, and her boss, like, keeps throwing away her campaign and trying to fuck it up. In ways that make no sense for the stage that the campaign is supposed to be at. And so in order to keep him from micromanaging her team, she brings Martin because the boss is afraid of dogs. And Martin starts stalking the boss. And and so we are still in this zone where the show is allowing Martin to believe that he is a romantic analog. Yeah. For Nan. So we have not moved on from the point where the dog thinks of Nan romantically, I guess. Yeah. And where that's okay. Nope. So he's, he's having this whole crisis because he feels like he's falling in love all over again and that like his relationship with Nan is dead and is stalking the boss. And then the boss gets over it, suddenly realizes that he understands why Nan's campaign was based around how the dog sees him, and then steals the dog, and so then Nan sabotages him by adding corporate to the group cloud so that he they see a flip chart that he wrote a lot of words on
1: but also like going back to them not knowing what marketing is like i've never once seen a campaign in the development process being like oh let's just physically create this in our office and see what it's like Like, that's what computers are for in 2017. I was so confused. So,
0: we think at this point that they work for a clothing company in the design department, right? But it's still unclear, yeah. It's still unclear. And so, we think what they are designing are, like, the window displays for this company. Right. But it's still not clear. And so, her campaign was... To make mirrors in the window display that say in big font, like, you are beautiful. Right. And this is supposed to be in development for a full year. Right. We're in episode three, and her co-worker, who's in charge of a more different part of the campaign, <laughs> but, like, works under her, I guess, unveils an entire wall of mirrors with the font on them. Right.
1: What? I mean, I've literally been in retail marketing spaces before and they don't do that. They have like mock-ups of things printed out from a computer and they say, I think this looks okay. And then eventually you spend the money to order it. It doesn't take a year, first of all. But second of all, it wouldn't be ready in a week later if they're going to then spend another (laughs) year on it. Well, it's like, how are you supposed to
0: convince me that this project takes a year if the product is ready in a week? Like, no one, no person on earth, no company on earth, no nothing on earth is looking to pay someone for a year for a project they can do in a week.
1: Also, no company is going to approve an idea just based on a mirror when there's no other (laughs) collateral for it or, like, point of it. (laughs) Like, wouldn't you, you would need an integrated digital marketing campaign, would you not? You would a
0: little. It, it, like, a mirror is not exactly cross-platform. <laughs> Unless Twitter knows something about physics that I don't.
1: Listen, when Amazon bought Whole Foods, all they said was mirrors on the outside of the stores that say, organic vegetables are beautiful, and you are too.
0: <laughs> uh, nothing matters we're all gonna die uh. nihilism is now uh. the only thing that came out of the mirror campaign that's like at all believable as like occurring on this earth is one of the ways that the boss decides to fuck up the campaign in this episode is he sees the mirrors in person and has now looked into the dog's eyes and like understands the way the dog looks at him and he comes barging into the room and like starts shouting about how all of the mirrors should be skinny mirrors so like the funhouse mirrors that make you look thinner than you are right and he gives like this whole like madman speech about how the dog saw him as like not being fat and hairy and being a loser and so that's like we should be trying to show people a version of themselves that's, like, better than they actually are so that they'll forget for a second that they're ugly. Right. And I was, I was like, I mean, that would happen in an actual boardroom. Sure. Like, that, that was a conversation that someone had. Yeah.
1: I'll buy that.
0: That's the one time in five episodes that the show was grounded in reality.
1: The worst part about the group cloud thing that she did, the sabotage Mm. was that the only result of it (laughs) was, besides the just, like, fallout of the corporate folks finding out, was that her friend just said, well, girl power, I guess. (laughs) Like, (laughs) they didn't really know how to just say that subtly, so they just wrote it in really awkwardly. This
0: show has no idea, like, how people react to things in real life. Like, I'm not convinced that the writers have ever met people. Maybe. Wait a second. Maybe the writers are dogs. Maybe. Maybe the whole writer's room is just dogs. Like, maybe Martin is part of a race of sentient dogs, and that's not CGI at all. And that's just who populates the writer's room.
1: It's really just as plausible as the show even existing in the first place.
0: <laughs> I would feel better about the show if that were the truth. Or maybe ABC created an algorithm that writes sitcom scripts. I don't even think an algorithm
1: would come up with something this bad.
0: <laughs> but the bottom line is like, like, so you're at work. Just like close your eyes, listener, and think about this for a second. You're at work. Your best co-worker friend who has been having drama with their boss, comes up to you and says, I just sent the really offensive shitty idea my boss had to corporate and to everyone else in the company, so now everyone knows what a shitbag my boss is. What do you say? Well, girl power, I guess. Wait, there are, like, three (laughs) times in life when you say that?
1: And, like, never at work, probably. That's just literally not the time. But it's just
0: it's just like it just it, it's like a fucking gumball machine. It's like a gumball machine
1: of like faux millennial like twitter taglines. Speaking of faux millennial tropes in general. <laughs> moving on a little bit to episode 4, they did a whole thing with her using an iPad in public, which is arguably my very least favorite millennial type trope <laughs> of all time and it doesn't even just relate to this show many shows have made this error in thinking that any millennial uses an iPad. Like the only yeah. millennials that no no. The only people I know who use iPads are over the age of forty five maybe and use them as cameras <laughs> at like inappropriate times. Yep. yep. And like I know people use iPads, but no one uses an iPad in public.
0: You don't just, like, go sit at the dog park with your stylus and, like,
1: hang out. To do work. Like, iPads stay at home or go on a plane with you, and that's about it.
0: They're very specific use. They're not just casual use. They certainly don't go in cars with you, Jane the Virgin. (laughs) We're on to you, Jane the Virgin. Was episode four the one with the dog trainer?
1: Like, Eagleton Ron that was worse?
0: Yes. So, here's another fucked up episode for you. So, (laughs) Nan is at the dog park.
1: This is the worst episode.
0: Yeah, this is a bad fucking episode. (laughs) Oh, we didn't close the loop on episode three. So, in the middle of her crazy boss... There's just a lot happening. In the middle of her crazy boss, like, being obsessed with her dog, he has... Either he or the dog has this long fantasy sequence where they literally go on a date together. Mm. I guess it's the dog because Martin's still delivering his monologue about falling out falling in love all over again. Yeah. But like at the end of the of the fantasy thing, fantasy montage, he and the boss are sitting at a candlelit dinner holding hands. Yeah. Like the boss reaches over the table and is like stroking the dog's paw as if they're holding hands. Yeah. I don't know who, like, remember, we talked about this already. Remember that every single thing you see and hear in a, a television show is approved at hundreds of layers of bureaucracy. People looked at that in the editing room. The senior editors looked at that and were like, yeah, we can let that through. We can let
1: human eyes see this. <laughs> that. Agreed to do a romantical scene with a dog. <laughs> like, let alone the editors.
0: And think about—he was how like, to- "Sure, this is a
1: good move for my career." And
0: think about how many times they had to shoot every single piece of that montage, because like they run through a field together, and then there's like multiple shots at the restaurant. There's like some other stuff they do also. Each of those things had to be shot multiple times. Yeah, they did. He had to agree to it over and over and over and over again. Yep. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Everyone involved in this project. I like I would just love to sit everyone down in a room and be like, what happened to all of you? <laughs> so then episode four. So Nana's at the dog park with her very average dog, and she observes a man who is Eagleton Ron, but worse. And <laughs> he has a very well trained dog, and all he does at the dog park is fancy dog tricks with his very well trained dog. Right. And somehow they talk, and Martin says the line that he has always lived a life of the mind and has never had time to explore his physicality. Mm hmm. So that was cool. And uh-huh. then Eagleton Ron gives Nan his phone number. And then Nan calls him, and then Nan's friend is like, you should, you should always wait three days before calling people, because dating rules. Also, Eagleton Ron is, like, 70. But he's got
1: this hair. So curly. It's such curly ramen hair. It's, like, gray at the roots, and then, like, reddish brown throughout, and it's long. And, like, I have multiple notes that just say, but why his hair? Like, why? Why? And it, like,
0: hung into his face.
1: Yeah. It was, like,
0: very, like, mid-2000s emo, like, strung in his face.
1: Like, this show but was he very was comfortable with portraying, like, that he is actually attractive, and no one seems to question it. Isn't I questioned that...
0: it. I questioned huh? it a lot. I questioned I spent
1: it the too. entire
0: episode questioning it.
1: But no one in The Downward Dog writer's room or casting people or ABC in general thought that it was weird that Eagleton Ron was plausibly a good counterpart for a 35 year old. Is that how old she is? I mean, I don't know. That's probably on the upper side of what yeah, we are going I was for, putting
0: but... her at like 28, 29.
1: Well, I was trying to be nice because he's like 67. <laughs>
0: so, so then they go on their dog park date. And he tries to train the dog. He tries to train Martin. And Martin spends the whole time hiding in a tunnel monologuing about feeling dumb because he's not as smart as Eagleton Ron's dog. And then for some reason, he and Nan go back to his house and drink wine. And when they cut from the dog park to them at Eagleton Ron's fancy mansion, Ooh,
1: yeah,
0: she's in the middle of talking to him in like Martin lingo with all the likes and ums. About how great it is to, like, be, like, with an adult, like, and not, like, play video games, like, the whole time that they're, like, together because, like, he's just a grown-up with, like, a job. And I wanted to be, like, hold off, lady. Like, not that this isn't a real job, but you're presuming a lot from the fact that he was training his dog in a dog park. Right. Dog training is a real job. I'm just saying. Eagleton Ron has not proved to us that he has a real job. That's correct. Also... It's not even really their first date. They're, like, on a hangout, drinking wine, and she has apparently spilled her entire life story about dating a guy who she had to dump because he smoked weed and played video games and is already telling the guy that it's so much better to be with him than with her ex. Right. Who is trying to sell that as
1: if that's how human beings talk to each other? I don't know. This dialogue is just a, the one of the many things that I hate so much about this show.
0: Because, again, like... Multiple people wrote that. No script is written in isolation, so multiple people wrote that. And then a production team set up in a set and put two consenting adults in front of the camera, and they had to run that scene multiple times. Yeah, they did. Think about that. Think about how many times the choice was made to do this. It was made so many times. Oh my god. So then they... They continue dating, and she has a lot of conversations with her work friend about dating this guy. And her work friend is, like, not at all concerned that she's dating, like, a 70-year-old man. And then he invites her to a gala and, like, feeds her dog quinoa and salmon, which is, like, my fear landscape. And then they, they leave for the gala, and Martin gets sick because, presumably, he's been fed something he's not used to eating. And so they get home, and... The dog trainer, Eagleton Ron, freaks out that Martin, like, had an accident in the house. And Nan is, like, comforting Martin. And they have this whole fight about how she's ruining her dog. And she yells at him about how she wants him to feel comforted and loved and happy. And, you know, she may not be strict with him and he may not be well behaved, but she just wants him to be happy. And again, that fucking helicopter parent thing popped back. Like, my radar went off
1: hmm Like, millennial alarm, millennial alarm. But she also didn't offer to, like, clean up her dog's puke. She just is like, okay, I'm gonna go. She's like, well, let's not date anymore. Poor guy. Poor Eagleton Ron. Poor
0: Eagleton Ron. Although... I also did
1: some real quick IMDBing for yeah. the sake of this argument. Yeah. And she's 36 and he's 48. And I don't know what I'm more surprised by.
0: I'm... I... I... Am... Offended, I think, <laughs> <laughs> by so much that this show chooses to be. But that they honestly are trying to sell us Nan as a 36 year old woman.
1: No, that's how old the actress is.
0: Oh, I thought you meant the character. No,
1: no, no. They don't tell you that.
0: I, they're, because the whole thing with Nan. Is that she's, like, brand new in her career and, like, just barely stopped binge drinking and smoking weed with her now ex?
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, like,
0: no shade. Like, your life is your own. You gotta do what you gotta do. But, like, it's just not compelling television. (laughs) It's not
1: compelling television. (laughs) The dog in episode four also said, sometimes I feel like Nan is responsible for 99 to 100% of my problems. Ooh, which was a tough one. Ooh. And then at the end, the dog talked about self-love. Yes. Which I, like, literally couldn't stomach.
0: Oh my god, I wish I wrote down that quote. He had a really good oh, one. Me too. About me too. self-love that I forgot to write down. Ugh. Oh, I hated this episode so much. Yeah. I really hated episode five, which I already recapped for you, but literally, I... Wish I had counted the number of times he said trash dog. Like, if it had been a drinking game, we would have been blitzed by the end of that episode. And they're only 21 minute episodes, guys. Right. The other
1: thing that's, like, doesn't... I mean, it it could feel realistic in a millennial world, but almost doesn't, is how much she... They make jokes about her video game boyfriend, like, playing video games and that being the root of why he's a bad boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like every millennial has played video games and does play video games to an extent for sure, right. like I feel like I feel like that attitude is a like person trying to be a millennial attitude. <laughs> yeah, I would really actually knowing. love to know
0: the average age of the writers on this show. yeah, I'm not convinced any of them are actually millennials. no, but to your point, like someone who. Is putting their life decisions on hold to, for any reason, like, whether it's so that they can spend all their time playing video games or spend all their time doing something else, isn't doing so because, like, video games makes them a bad person. It all has to do with life priorities. And the story that they want to tell about Jason, I think, who's video game boyfriend, I think, is that he's a good person who is a good boyfriend, but just hasn't, like, his priorities don't align with Nan's right now. Right. But they keep reducing it to they don't align with Nans because his priorities are
1: video games. It's like, right. no. like he brings over his VR and I wrote down all she just goes and she's like, wow, you make it really easy to be just friends with you when you play video games like that.
0: Oh, it's so gross. She plays gross. video games. She, right. She talks about it. They show her playing video games. And then she talks about one of the reasons she dumps him being that she she like no longer plays video games now that she's not with him and that's better for her.
1: Right. Like, I play video games. Guys Like, I thought it was more realistic the like one montage where they were playing video games and like drinking on a weeknight.
0: Yeah. They like drink wine and play video games and then eat Chinese takeout on the kitchen floor. I related to that. Sounds like a Wednesday to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well and then in so this is episode five, right? Yeah. And someone where she goes away. So For the rest of the episode, he has the VR on, including when she comes home the next morning. And during that time, Martin has gotten out of the house and has run all over Pittsburgh eating out of every dumpster he can find and then magically finds his way back home somehow. Hmm. But the house is locked, so he sleeps on the porch. So when Nan comes home, she finds him filthy and on the porch. And when she comes in, Jason is asleep with the VR still on. Which means that he must have had it on for, like, at least 12 hours, if not more. So he never took a bathroom break. He never took a food break. He never took an eye strain break. He never took a water break. No. And his excuse to not noticing that Martin was gone was that he had the VR on the whole time and just thought Martin was on the couch next to him. It's like, so at a minimum, you also never reached out a foot to your left to see if the dog was there. Right. Plenty of people are irresponsible. No one is that. Whatever that is. No. Like, delusion Like, not delusional. Like, no. aloof. It's not even aloof. Like, no one is a slave to the thing that they like. Yeah,
1: you're right.
0: Like... Like, no one would go 24 hours straight with the VR strapped to their eyeballs and then fall asleep on the couch with the VR still on and then be completely surprised that someone is mad at them because the one job that they had, keeping the dog safe, didn't happen because they literally never took the VR off.
1: Not even bad boyfriends.
0: Not even bad boyfriends. And so- No, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, they keep trying to show Jason as, like, not being good enough for Nan, and every single time they try to put, like, weigh the two against each other, I feel like Jason comes out the winner, and I can't tell if they're trying to do that on purpose to prove that it's Nan's priorities that are off, and she just doesn't appreciate him or what they're going for, but Nan is not coming out of this looking like the better person.
1: I feel like it's not intentional. On the part of the writers. (laughs) You know what's intentional is the number of times that they write the word like into the dog's (laughs) VO. I started counting this in episode two. Thank God. I haven't finished episode five yet, so we can't include that. But do you want to guess the high for the number of likes? So I know from
0: an IMDb review that episode one had 57 in a 21 minute episode. Yeah. So if if that is where the show started.
1: Well, it's the same number I got for episode 4. No shit. <laughs> 57. Episode 2 was 28, but I may have missed a couple. Episode 3 yeah. was 45, and episode 4 was 57.
0: Oh my god. And just remember guys, these are 21 minute episodes where the dog is not on screen every single second.
1: So that means every minute there's like between 2 and 3 likes. 2.7
0: likes a minute.
1: Yeah. And the dog's screen time could is maybe generously 8 or 9 minutes.
0: Yeah, where he's monologuing, yeah. Yeah. So if we, let's be super generous and make that 10 minutes. So yeah, even if he's on screen half the time, then that's 5.7 times a minute, which feels more real to me.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it'll be so fast that I can't write them down. Yeah. These will be like, and then like, 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 and I, I know what they're trying to get for and go for, (laughs) and I get that everyone says like in places where they shouldn't. Like I'm sure we do on this podcast frequently enough. Yeah. However, it's a overwhelming amount of on purpose likes that become obvious and grating and irritating.
0: Well, like again like like we had like said like uh you know like The writers, like, had to, you know, um, write the dialogue, and then, like, a voiceover actor, like, read the dialogue, like, they read it out loud, like, and then, like, there were sound engineers and dialogue, like, editors, like, you know, I get it, but, like, that's that's still, like, people who did it, and I, you know, I want to get it, I want to like it. But, like, it's just a lot. And I, like, am amazed that, like, people listen to it and, like, think, yeah, like, this is a really good product.
1: That was beautiful. <laughs> 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 it's worth noting that I didn't count any grammatically correct likes in my count either. Yep.
0: Yeah. This is all gratuitous likes. Uh, it. I will say, like, to your point about us probably saying it too often, I've edited, like, two or three episodes since we started watching Downward Dog, and it has been really difficult for me to get through some of those edits. Not because we are using it so egregiously, but because I hear it that way because of watching Downward Dog. I have, like, language trauma.
1: But also, our podcast is not scripted. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and this show is scripted, so if we go back to what we've been saying all along, someone wrote this down on purpose and thought it was a good idea, and other people agreed with them that it was a good idea, it's it was not been... an accident. It's it was
0: consented like... to on so many
1: levels.
0: Right. Ugh. Grammar is tough, and Downward Dog ruins my life in small ways every day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh do you have any other thoughts about downward dog or are we done with this fucking hellscape of a show for a little while
0: so at this point we have gotten through episode five we still have to watch episode six through eight i believe that next tuesday is the next airing date and i believe that they are going to air episodes seven and eight back to back because they are so fucking ready to be done with the show Yep. So we will get through those, and then we will have a bind-off episode at some point. So be yeah. on the lookout for that. I will say that we had promised that this show would be the beginning of the Haywatch Knitting Circle, and I hated the show so much that I couldn't even. Yeah, I mean, none of us could even. I, just, I, I like tried multiple times to pick up my needles, and you can't count stitches with 57 likes also flashing across the screen. Nope. it's just too much going on. So we apologize, please, if you are upset about this, you can let us know, but we would prefer that you direct that energy to ABC, and feel free to start a letter-writing campaign on our behalf about why Downward Dog was the worst idea they've ever had.
1: Yeah, so don't get lost in the letter-writing campaign of the IMDb reviewers who are really (laughs) upset the show got cancelled. Make sure that you're... Letters state very clearly that you are pro the cancellation of this horrible (laughs) show. Especially because an ABC director said,
0: or producer said, that they are hell-bent on finding this show another home.
1: That means it's going to go live on Hulu, doesn't it? Probably.
0: Probably. That's where it belongs, though. Hulu sucks. Nope. Not even on Hulu.
1: (laughs) Hulu (laughs) is a special
0: kind of hell, but it is not this kind of hell. So, yeah, if you have thoughts or feelings about Denver Dog, find us on Twitter at Hate With Us or send us emails if you want us to proofread your angry letters to ABC that the show ever existed. Those can be sent to hatewatchwithus at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, that's everything about Denver Dog. Yeah, it is. That this show happened to all of us. <laughs>
1: If you haven't yet watched Downward Dog, spare yourself and don't watch Downward Dog.
0: I don't know. I kind of feel like this is a horrible enough show that it deserves to be inflicted upon a large majority of the
1: populace. Yeah. I mean, if you feel like you're going to enjoy a good hate watch, by all means.
0: I feel like it's kind of like chickenpox, right? Like, inoculate yourself against terrible television by watching Mm -hmm. Downward Dog. (laughs) You got to catch it while you're young
1: so that it doesn't turn
0: into shingles. So... Downward Dog, I think is fair to say, serves as a cautionary tale for what happens when you have a flawed narrating device.
1: What is that narrating device?
0: Uh, other than a fucked up CGI dog with glass (laughs) eyeballs?
1: (laughs) No, that is the narrating device.
0: (laughs) This show breaks my brain.
1: (laughs) It did break your brain. (laughs) I'm handing it to you now. So I think what you're alluding to with the narrative device of Downward Dog um, (laughs) is that we're talking a little bit about narrators. Yeah. And we're going to talk about, I have a couple different types of narrators picked out here to talk about, but we're just going to kind of go with the flow since we decided on this topic about five minutes before we started recording. Um, Like
0: most professionals.
1: So, Downward Dog uses the dog as the talking head. Some other shows that have a talking head of sorts that I can think of off the top of my head include The Office and Parks and Rec, who do it more effectively than Downward Dog. (laughs) And also (laughs) House of Cards that that does it more effectively than Downward Dog. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the point of any narrator, obviously, is to give context that you can't deliver or don't want to deliver via your actual narrative, like, conversational things or with subtext. (laughs) So the talking head in particular is used to tell what the character is thinking by the character themselves, like, off screen. Not off screen, but in a different setting, like, looking at the camera. Mm
0: -hmm. It's the reality TV model where, like, the talking head is recapping what you just saw in the, like, unscripted scene, quote-unquote.
1: Right, and it's from their perspective, and it's meant to give you, like, a little bit more information about the character as a person and how they interpret things. It's like a breaking the fourth wall version of plain old first
0: person. Right. It's all about point of view.
1: So, I... I... I don't know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It broke you too, see? It's not just me. I don't know what to do with Downward Dog in that. So here's my part of my thing. I mean, I think there's a lot of flaws here. There's a lot about Martin as the narrator for the entire show that is broken as a narrative system, which is a thing I should probably trademark. The problem is that they give Martin the A plot and Nan gets the B plot. And the A plot is something extremely specific to Martin, like the automatic door. And it's like small and dog related, but it's intended to stand as some kind of symbol for Nan. So in that episode, that was the boundary episode. And the whole point of the automatic door is that it like changes the boundaries for Martin. And it also changes the boundaries for Nan and Jason and gives them like something new that they have to navigate But it doesn't fucking work.
1: Do you think it would be a worse show or an equally bad show if they also had Nan as a talking head? Oh my god.
0: (laughs) 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 My guess is that the reason they chose not to do that, because they easily could have, right, is like to juxtapose Nan and Martin and have them both talking to the viewer.
1: They're not above being heavy-handed. They are not,
0: by any means. My guess as to why they didn't is because they didn't want to break the suspended disbelief of, like, the viewer building a relationship with Martin.
1: What, what bothers me, maybe not the most, but what bothers me a little bit about this is that they easily could have given the dog a voice, right, mm-hmm. in narration, but they didn't have to do the talking head. No. Like, they could have just had the thoughts running through his head while he was looking at things. He
0: could have been a plain old first person omniscient narrator. Right. Like, plain old narrator speaking from point of view who happens to know everything about the universe that they are narrating.
1: Right.
0: Like the Jane the Virgin narrator.
1: Like the Jane the Virgin narrator.
0: (laughs) My husband actually very astutely turned to me the other night- While watching Downward Dog, and it's possible he hates that show more than we do, (laughs) but he looked at me the other night and he goes, what if the dog was actually the narrator from Jane the Virgin? And I was like, game changer.
1: (laughs) Jane the Virgin's narrator is the greatest thing that's happened to me ever.
0: But that's, like, that's a first-person, omniscient narrator. We never meet them. Like, he doesn't have a body. He's just a voiceover. He's credited
1: as Latin lover narrator, which that's I know so That's incredible. Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah. Ugh, I'm obsessed. But he is deeply intertwined in the show universe. Like, it is, in certain episodes, it has been implied that he actually has, like, agency in the show universe. But he knows everything that's happening from presumably a future standpoint. And he's incredibly effective. And you would think because, like, he's kind of silly and Jane the Virgin is kind of silly that it would have some similar flaws to Downward Dog. But it is a flawless narration.
1: And I think it's the most similar to the Arrest Development yeah. narration, too. In that, like, both narrators in those shows are very aware that they are narrating a television show.
0: Yep. It's all self-aware, self-reflexive and it's all across the fourth wall. So like they both have incredible comedic timing like they both are written to know exactly what you as the audience are thinking and to chime in. Right. So like the the Jane the Virgin narrator will pop in and be like,
1: "I know, right?" My favorite thing that they did was when it was in the s- the most recent season When you finally learn, like, what Abuela's job is. Mm. (laughs) And she's been wearing these, like, nurse sort of outfits Mm -hmm. since the first season, and they just never mention it. And they finally said that she's a home nurse, and he's like, oh, that's what all the smocks were for. I get it. (laughs) Which is amazing.
0: And then similarly, the Arrested Development narrator, like, Always knows when to pop in and, like, call characters out on their shit. Yeah, and they
1: use a lot of flashback with that, more more so than Jane the Virgin, but I guess just in a different way.
0: Well, it's stylistic, right? So Arrested Development uses, like, flashbacks or, like, the no-footage-found type of screen and, like, silly things like that. Whereas the Jane the Virgin narrator, like, types on the screen. Right. It's a similar device, just executed a little differently.
1: Yeah, Jane the Virgin's is very... It implies that there that this is some sort of a a written novel like novel romance novel almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not quite there, but it's close to being there.
0: There's an episode I want to say in season two where I can't remember it's when some investigation in the Marbella like has just been reopened, and the narrator is is talking about either a word or a narrative device, like he's doing something meta. And he keeps having to retype whatever is on the screen. So he'll type it and then delete it and then retype it. Yeah. So yeah, like very intentional actors in the show universe, even though they're narrators. But what they're narrating is directly tied to every part of the plot. Like they are steering the framework of the story for the viewer. And shocker, that's actually the job of narrative. Right. The narrative is the framework of the story that you want to tell Shots fired, downward dog.
1: Even to the point of, like, the HGTV lady, she <laughs> still does yep. steer the direction of the show. So she basically takes the edit and is given the script, obviously, but is that script is meant to frame it up a certain way and say, Jane doesn't like that they don't have his and hers closets. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe really wants a finished basement for his man cave. Like, she frames up the somewhat dramatized, like, issues between the two people often. Yeah. So she's also important and also kind of mysterious.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say that, like, most HGTV voiceovers are well-constructed narrative. And, like, HGTV, HGTV is a much simpler format. So it's not like they have a lot to shoot for in terms Uh of what they're structuring, but they still structure the story that they are trying to tell through each person who is trying to buy or renovate a house. And that story is like, buying a house or renovating a house is hard and has challenges, but these people end up happy.
1: You know what's really weird about HGTV shows? They don't animate the houses to have mouths that talk. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's what HGTV is missing it
0: really is (laughs) imagine if on house hunters instead of doing the voiceover lady when they did the thing at the end where they would stack up each of the three houses (laughs) and and say like you know option one has blah 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 and is under their budget option two is move-in ready but is right over their budget and option three is a pit if instead of that each house had an animated mouth And was like, well, I may be over their budget, but I have Jack and Jill closets.
1: (laughs) You know, the windows are the eyes to the house. The future is now. <laughs> uh, Thanks, um, Downward Dog. So another narrator that I, I sort of categorized because omniscient wasn't a word I could remember, um, I <laughs> categorized our narrators as invisible and known. Uh-huh. But same same difference. Um, well, so not um,
0: necessarily, because, like, third-person omniscient narration is, like, not necessarily a known quantity.
1: Well, right. So I still think known is separate, but under the invisible slash omniscient narrator area... At least for most of the show, I also added Gossip Girl. Hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with Gossip Girl, but... Not very. A lot of, bubble well, like, the whole premise of that show was based on a mysterious person who knew all the gossip, shocker, oh. and would post it to, I don't know if it was, like, texted out or tweeted out, because I knew it was before Twitter, but yeah. it was same same idea, right? So everyone would get this gossip on their phone and she'd, like, write XOXO Gossip Girl after everything, right? Uh Uh-huh. So that was another instance where Kristen Bell was the voice. Like, she had her own voice. But it was mysterious throughout the whole show who it actually was. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was another instance where...
0: I didn't know Kristen Bell was in Gossip Girl.
1: Only the voice.
0: That's incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. Good job, Kristen Bell.
1: Yeah, so it was an interesting angle, I guess, for a WB-era show, Um, (laughs) but it was a different way to still use that invisible, whatever, almost in the vein of Jane the Virgin type of narrator. Not as in on the joke, obviously, and it wasn't a joke, but still one that definitely had a direct relationship to the plot and would comment on the people themselves and their behavior, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Like, I think they would, you know, if they were lying or something, she'd say, like, oh, I don't know if that's really how it went down. And then, like, be really cutesy and mysterious, but that was another one that was...
0: I mean, it sounds like the starting point. We talk all the time about, like, the things that different art forms are standing on the shoulders of, and it sounds like the starting point that would have gotten, like, the character of the narrator to the point where it's at in Jane the Virgin.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that was a, that's a good, um unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. to mention and I think that moves me into my known narrator list which has the unreliable Ted Mosby narrator. (laughs) Yeah. So that's one where it's a we know exactly who he is and we know from the start like it's not a mystery that he's the narrator but you question or you should question throughout the show whether He's telling things the way they were or he's telling things in a certain way to Mm -hmm. frame a certain story.
0: There's, I want to say a couple of different episodes, but there's at least one episode where the Jane the Virgin narrator spends a lot of time, like, breaking down the concept of unreliable narrators.
1: I don't know if I've gotten to that yet, have I?
0: Maybe not. Hmm. I love that, though. I remember watching it and thinking that it wasn't the first time that they had Mm. talked about it, but maybe it is. There is one episode in season three where that's the framework that the narrator is playing with. Mm, They do so much good for the world. I really appreciate, this is kind of a sidebar, it's related, but not totally. I really appreciate that they are so, like, so blatantly meta. Yes. And that the narrator spends so much time talking about narrative devices and how it can and cannot be used. And the effect that it has on the story that it's telling. And then it's, at the same time, actively using that device in Mm -hmm. the storytelling. So it's like, I I just, I can't think of any time, including in school, learning about writing, when someone could so blatantly say to you, like, this is the structure of the writing that you are going to use. And here is an
1: example of that writing where that, like, worked together. And they don't dumb it down. No. Like, they use... Very specific terminology, and they just hope you get it if you don't already know it. They explain it clearly, I think. They do, but they they aren't speaking to you like you're a network TV viewer, let's put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fair enough.
0: I just, there's so much about it that's beautiful.
1: So much. Other narrators I have in here, I have Bloodline, Hmm. which was an unreliable narrator, It's not used very frequently, but it's used to frame up the story as a whole. So it's used a lot in the beginning of the season or beginning of episodes and ends of episodes to be like, the whole thing's about a family who just uh, has a lot of turmoil and makes some interesting choices and sort of goes down a very dark path. And the voiceover of the whole first season was basically like we're not bad people, we just did a bad thing. And so they kept trying to remind you, like, almost, that they that was how you were supposed to view them. Hmm. Which was kind of weird. I don't know how effective it was, but it happened. (laughs) That was a thing they did. That was a thing they tried to do. Another one that I really like that isn't used too, too much, but is used well, is on Friday Night Lights they have this radio DJ broadcaster or whatever. Hmm. And they always have them on like when they're in the car or sometimes they'll just have it playing at the beginning of an episode and they do a good job. It's supposed to be like the local sports radio guy reporting on the high school football game or uh-huh. something along those lines, a like, very local broadcaster, but they do a good job of using that to like set the scene of what the matchup is for the, that episode of the show or how that matchup is going to affect the town. hmm So he'll be like, oh, it's Friday, Friday night, everybody's got their, you know, got their shops closed down, everybody's getting, re-, you know, like, it does a good job of setting the story of the episode sometimes, when they do use it, and just setting the scene and showing, like, this is something they would talk about on the radio in West Texas because that's what's going on. It's helping with that sense of place that they're really, really good at. It just adds another element. And you never see him. You have no idea, you know, what his deal is. But he is used really effectively from time to time.
0: That's cool. I like him. So, do you got any? Uh, I mean, Jane the Virgin and Arrested Development were, like, really the only ones that I had. That's fair.
1: They're, they're the important ones here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know that that sounds lame, but I think that those two narrators, like, are so important to their show universes, and also, I think how other shows have come to understand
1: narration. I would argue that the Arrested Development narrator is the character on that show that fans feel the most not connection to, but are the most devoted to. Uh huh. Like they like that character so much. More than any of the actual characters on the show.
0: I mean, that's probably fair. I feel like
1: there's a lot of love on the internet for that character. Not, I mean, the other characters are bad people, so (laughs) that doesn't help. But I feel like there's genuine emotional ties to that character. And this week, when Ron Ron Howard got announced as the sudden director of the Han Solo Star Wars spinoff, but everyone just kept making narrator jokes <laughs> on Twitter as it relates to Star Wars and Arrested Development put together, then it was a really beautiful time on the internet.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, like, as you alluded to by saying everyone on the show is bad people, like, I think it it's hard to reconcile in that show, like, everything that's going on and the narrator gives you something to hold on to. <laughs> like, the true. narrator is the only sane one in the situation. And you're intended to only... Relate to the narrator.
1: And that's almost true on so. Jane the Virgin. I don't think it's exclusively true to the narrator, but once I understood that the narrator w- was here for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In that sense, That was sense, like a it's turning true. point in my viewership. I think the difference is that you can relate in a very honest way to all of the characters in Jane the Virgin. Whereas in Arrested Development, the narrator is just a partner in judgment with you. I
1: like that phrase. (laughs) A partner in judgment. Are you my partner in judgment? Of course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that should be like the first hate watch bumper sticker. You're... Partner in Judgment.
1: I love that so much.
0: <laughs> I'm writing it down. Our first t-shirt is going to be, <laughs> our for these are modern times, and our first bumper sticker is just a Partner in Judgment. <laughs> our merch is going to pop the fuck off, guys.
1: Do you think there's anything to the fact that all of the top tier prestige shows that I can think of do not have narrators? I'm talking like Mad Men, The Wire, Sopranos. Yeah, the yeah, yeah.
0: No, I mean, I think like the plain old like omniscient author narrator where it's just the writing of the show that acts Mm -hmm. as the narrative force, since that's like what a lot of literature is based off of and a lot of novels are based off of, I feel like that is somewhat of a default and maybe you're right, like maybe there is some amount of seriousness that is associated with it. I don't know that you can have like a character narrator a la Jane the Virgin and arrested development and not have it be playful well like house of cards has tried with that right but even that's a little playful it is no you know like that's comedic relief that's self-reflexive comedy for the most part yeah i don't think you could have had don draper looking at the camera being like this is how you do it i would have
1: loved that so much (laughs) (laughs) like narrators we wish we had
0: oh my god oh my god that's the conversation we should have I know. Actually, if if there were to be a singular narrator, not like a plain old omniscient narrator, but if there were to be a singular narrator of Mad Men, it would have been Sterling. Oh,
1: I would have loved it so much.
0: It absolutely would have been Roger Sterling.
1: I would have also been here for like a Joan and Roger like dueling narrator.
0: I can also see a scenario where you had a Peggy narrator. So here's what it should have been, maybe. I, right. I the wheels are turning I've got all kinds of rewrites <laughs> like the alternative universe fanfics that just spun out of my brain in the last three seconds like we got oh a lot my. to work with guys oh so boy. you could have done it in the way of like any of your rotating pov novels like poisonwood bible or little women yeah um where each chapter is a different character so define that how you will whether it be an episode or a season where it rotates between like Don, Peggy, Joan, Roger. Yeah. I guess you could have given Pete some space in there. What about
1: Glenn? (laughs) Scratch everything. That's the one narrator I mean.
0: He's my one true narrator. Fuck. He gets two chapters. He gets, he gets the episode where he asks for a lock of Betty's hair, and he gets the episode where he gives her the look over at the very end after she's no longer fat. Oh.
1: <laughs> Matt Wiener-Weiner, if you're out there. Hey, Matt
0: Wiener-Weiner, it's been a little while since we talked. I think we've got some work for you. I know you're doing an Anastasia reboot, and so, like, you've got a few calls waiting from us, but I'd really like to crack Mad Men back open.
1: (laughs) If you're not available, just give us a direct line to your son. (laughs) He's probably old enough to be producing now, right? Sure. So, yeah,
0: those are some narrators I want (laughs) to Sorry, I derailed you. (laughs) No, that was beautiful. I just... I'm loving this like Mad Men universe in my brain where, like, either Peggy did like a Carrie Bradshaw style voiceover for the entire series. Yeah. About what it's like to be a working woman, or she and Joan tag teamed it, or everyone just took turns and like fought with the viewer about who was the better person.
1: <laughs> like, there's just so much potential there. There is. Oh my I god. I also just thought of a. Go ahead.
0: I was just going to say Breaking Bad should have been narrated by Jesse.
1: That's That would be my dream.
0: What a missed opportunity.
1: I also just thought of a current example of a narrator that's been talked about a lot, so I won't... I guess I can talk about it on our podcast. It's our podcast. You're right. Thank you. So The Handmaid's Tale has a narration. Oh, sure. I've only watched one episode because it's a lot, and I was also watching House of Cards, which was a lot. <laughs>
0: House of Cards Purgatory. I don't
1: know if I'm going to keep watching Handmaid's Tale, Handmaid's Tale, but I have read the book, so I have some some perspective, I guess. But in the book, a lot of it is basically this woman's thoughts more than it is her oh. speaking to other people. It's not a lot of dialogue. So it makes sense that the TV adaptation also has a ton of voiceover. Um, Does that
0: put it in a category with Divergent and Hunger Games? Not in terms of, like, general content and quality, but just
1: that POV. yeah. I would say maybe, which was a very decisive opinion. (laughs) I don't recall enough about Hunger Games and Divergent at this moment in time. Well, (laughs) so finish your thought. We'll come back. So, because society doesn't allow her to speak freely... Uh, or she doesn't feel safe speaking freely. A lot of this show is heavy with narration, and they do a really good job, from what I have understood, that she, uh, Elizabeth Moss, memorized the voiceover and acted to, to basically what the voiceover would be saying at that time. She's a fucking creative genius. She is a genius. She's very, very good in this show. The is just really heavy, but it's interesting to see how those two things kind of play out with her acting and the voiceover at the same time, because it's not always what you get, especially when you have a dog narrating. <laughs> a dog whose eyeballs have been CGI'd. Right. It, w- it was effective from what I watched, and it helped give her a little bit more sass than the book did. Uh, the book was, it w- I mean, there's a time shift, so the book was made in the 80s, early 80s, and this was... Set meant to be, like, mostly present day, but she has a little bit more fun and a little bit more sass with her voiceover of things that she wishes she could say but can't. Mm.
0: It's so funny, too, because voiceover is incredibly risky, and it is so easy for it to, like, bleed over into the Carrie Bradshaw territory. Yeah. It's not even only about heavy-handedness, it's just so easy for it to be lazy and disconnected from the real-time narrative, like, the narrative that you're supposed to be connecting to. Like, in my mind, the the narrator is only supposed to support the rest of the product. It's not supposed to take over for, like, the rest of the storytelling devices. Right, right. And I think, like, it's so easy to use voiceover to pop in and just be like, here's all the stuff I, that we weren't able to film because that's
1: hard. Right, which definitely happens. Or, like, here's the really obvious metaphor for what's happening in my dog owner's life that we're also conveying via visuals but just in case you missed it the the
0: thing there's so many things i can't handle about that but the biggest thing is that so much of the show is about nan's relationship and like her struggle to figure out how to like deal with this boyfriend she's still in love with and like everything the dog is talking about Is supposed to symbolically and thematically cover that struggle. And I'm sorry, ABC, but the dog doesn't get to be a replacement or an analog or a parallel or whatever for a human that is banging your protagonist. (laughs) Just don't get to do it that way. It's so uncomfortable. No more relationship shit. None. The dog is in an abusive relationship with Nan, and also it's a dog. Right. (laughs) So, what I I was going to say, though, to your point about Handmaid's Tale, is that both Hunger Games and Divergent are written through first person POV of the protagonists, so Katniss and Triss. And it's mostly their thoughts because, again, they're not super dialogue-heavy books. Yeah. Because both of them are loners who, like, can't talk to people because they're on the outskirts of society and stuff. And I remember it wasn't as big of a thing when Divergent came out because we already had a model for it and Divergent wasn't as big of a thing as Hunger Games was. But when the first Hunger Games movie came out, everyone was, like, tweaking shit about how they would handle that. Because the entire story is told by Katniss. So it's literally her describing what she's looking at and what she's eating and what she's wearing. And, and all,
1: 95% of it is like, do I like PETA or do I like that other guy whose name I can't think of right now? Gail. So she is just like Tom in season whatever <laughs> of House of Cards. Am I the first boyfriend? <laughs> She has no chill. Like, there is a lot of things happening in her world, and it is not time for (laughs) boys.
0: The lamb was as salty as my tears. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what's hard about that is, like, I kind of understood it at the time, because, like, that entire love triangle is playing out through her inner monologue. Like, the inner monologue is the story. Yeah. But so much of that was driven by the fact that books are not visual. Right. And so the majority of it was solved by the fact that all they had to do was build a set and boom, you've taken out 10 pages of the chapter that Katniss just spent trying to tell you what District 9 looked like.
1: Right. Or they had to just, like, share some knowing glances. Right. And You'd get the idea. It's also, like, dear
0: Hunger Games fans, like, this is not the first love triangle to take place <laughs> in in film history.
1: Nope.
0: I'm pretty sure that film
1: studios could handle this one. We all know what's going on here. (laughs) We all
0: know. And they did a perfectly admirable job of changing that, because it is a narrative shift to go from first person to third person. Fine. They did an admirable job of it. It was a perfectly fine movie franchise. Sure. We're all here. We are. I can't say the same for Divergent, but whatever. (laughs) We're all here.
1: We all made it. Except for that guy in Divergent who's now doing, like, Fragrance commercials <laughs> that I think I saw on pre-roll for downward dog. So, oh my
0: god, worlds colliding! Oh, <sighs> <Ugh>. god. <laughs> uh, so, if you have any thoughts about narrators, good ones, bad ones, mistakes, dogs, lessons learned, Glens. abusive dogs, reasons why dogs are not your boyfriend. <laughs>
1: You can tweet us at with us or send us an email at us at gmail.com.
0: You can also find additional content on our Tumblr, which is hatewatchwithus.tumblr.com. We've got some, like, built-out shit, like the lists for rom-com education, and we failed you on this first Knitting Circle, but when we have a more functional show than Downward Dog, our Knitting Circle content, including patterns and project updates, will be on Tumblr. And if you support our stuff... Mostly our Tumblr and our Twitter
1: and our podcast, then we'll put out more content and it'll be way more fun for us. And by support, we just mean like sending us a favorite on Twitter every once in a while. Yeah, like, you
0: know, it's just like a single click does the job, really. We're pretty easy to please. We're not
1: asking for your money or much of your time. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> An hour and a click a week, y'all. We're just asking for you to be partners in
0: judgment with us. <laughs> Well, friends, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.
1: Goodbye. Bye. I never got the chicken box. Oh, shit, son. I know.